Well, good morning, Grace Hills Church. Uh, it's good to be back after a, a few days of getting away and seeing our son in Europe. Uh, we visited him in Cyprus, uh, where he's been studying and had a great time with him. Uh, just came back and saw all the great uh, looks in the parking lot. Uh, John Aldridge and, and Steve Johnson were kind of in charge of that project, and it looks great back there. We got some improved handicapped spots and actually some senior spots as well, close up to the sanctuary. And I guess one of the questions was, well, what does it take to be a senior as far as to qualify to, to park in one of the closer parking spots closer to the sanctuary? And I guess the answer of that, if you're willing to admit that you're a senior, you can park there, all right? Uh, I park as far as way possible as I can, not to get any allusion to that fact, though there have been some restaurants who give me a senior discount. But anyway, I, I reserve those spots for you. We, uh, we were away for a number of days, and it's interesting when you go to another country, uh, you are now the alien, you're now the foreigner, you are the person who is trying to figure out what they're saying when they speak, because they're speaking a language that's not native to your own, uh, whether it be French or whether it be, actually in, in Cyprus they speak Greek, and then in Spain, what would, what would they speak in Spain? Uh, Spanish. And so we were, we were foreigners there trying to figure out which way to go. And it's also interesting in the particular areas that we were in, uh, two of the countries, is that you, well, actually only one of the countries, you were supposed to drive from the right side of the automobile and drive on the left side of the road. And I won't tell the long story about that, but I, I began to learn that about 2.30 in the morning as I picked up the rental car and so trying to figure it out during the night and then during the day. And all I can announce to you is you almost needed to have a new pastor because um, there were a few occasions where uh, in the roundabouts that there were vehicles coming that I wasn't sure I was supposed to stop for or merge into and one almost this huge truck almost hit me. Uh, but beyond that, we had a great time and it's great to be in a place where we can uh, just study God's word together. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, and we're going to be on our third part in the series, Jesus Alive, Now What? Just a few Sundays ago, we looked at Easter and Easter was Jesus Alive, So What?, uh, now we want to look at the now what? What are we supposed to do now because of the greatest event of all of history that Jesus rose from the dead? And so before we do that, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we attempt to see what God has for us this day. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to be in place where we can worship you and be involved in the word of God. And we ask as we study it this day that you might really speak into our lives. Help us to be a people who have not only heard the story, uh, but believe it. And as we believe it, we believe it to the level where we now live it. Father, help us to be part of not only your eternal family, but be on your team to recruit those, be part of uh, your program, your plan. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, what I want to do is I want to develop the context, and we've done a little bit of that in part ones and part two of this series, and then we're going to look at the content that we want to emphasize this morning. Uh, the book of Acts, as we've been going through this series in 2011, is part of our series of looking at the New Testament books in a survey approach and also try to get the, the main ideas that should touch down into our heart, into our life. The interesting, the context of the book of Acts is you need to understand that there's a simple truth that ought to hold on to and hold on to your mind as you think about what it's all about. And the book of Acts is the, the record of the activity of the Holy Spirit through his people. 
as we look at the four Gospels, and that was simply the story of Jesus, uh, Acts follows that. And if we didn't have that, we would wonder, well, what are all these little letters afterwards? You know, how did the, how did the message of Jesus spread? Well, really, Jesus said, and I've mentioned to you many times before, of the, of the amazing things Jesus has said, the one that I would think was the most unbelievable for his disciples to hear was, you know what? I'm going to leave you. And when I leave you, it's going to be better than this. And they're thinking, sure. But the real reason for that is that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now would be with them every moment of every day. For you could see as you look through the Gospels that whenever Jesus was with them, they were courageous, they were bold, they were living the life. But when Jesus wasn't there, they were somewhat cowardly and they struggled and they were filled with doubt. And he was going to send the Holy Spirit who would dwell within them. And because of that, then they would be able to be God's representative in powerful ways in the world. And so the book of Acts is, is the record of the Holy Spirit moving through his people to accomplish God's plan. And as you think about that, well, what was the main plan? And it's really summarized in the key verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it's really the story of witness by God's people. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. As we've already touched, based on this simple truth. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, it's not that you should be a witness. It would be a good idea that you would be a witness. You are a witness. It's whether we are a good witness or a poor witness. And the thing that we need to understand is that that's God's plan. And that's what God's spirit wants to do through us. As we look at the book of Acts, it's got 28 chapters. And the author of the book of Acts is, is Luke. And the interesting thing about Luke, he only wrote two books of the New Testament. There's 27 of them. But out of the 27, he wrote more verses than any other writer in the New Testament. And really, it's Luke 1 and Luke 2. Acts is the is the uh, is the sequel to the story of Jesus recorded by, by Luke. And in it, in the, the 28 chapters, you can kind of outline it based on that, that verse, Acts 1.8. It's the witness locally, it's the witness regionally, and it's the witness globally. And really, that's, that's the mission plan of God's church, is that we are to be a witness where we live, if we have opportunity to spread our wings a little bit and go a little bit further away, we ought to be a witness there. And then thirdly, if we have opportunity to go globally, wherever we go, we ought to speak about Jesus. And then we can do that directly and we can do that indirectly. As a church, we, we have a witness locally, but we support people who are doing things regionally. And then we support people who are doing things globally. And so we participate in God's plan every part of the world. Now, as you see this, in the book of Acts, we see this lived out. And, and really what you have is you have Paul being the example of that with his team. And there's, there's the first missionary journey, there's the second missionary journey, and then there's the third missionary journey. And if you're taking notes, yes, that's the same fill-in for all three uh, uh, points there. And really what you see is Paul moving out, moving out to accomplish, again, God's plan for the holy spirit to move through his people to get the message out that we discovered when jesus went to the cross paid fully for our sins and then rose again one of the interesting things one of one of the motivating things to go to cyprus as, as we visited matt was cyprus is the location of part of paul's first missionary journey 
as he went to Paphos and then Salamis and get out, got out the message to communicate about the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about that, and again, we're just looking at the context, from that movement for the book of Acts, then we have a focus on the Apostle Paul. And really, as you look at God's story, God's story is told in terms of the actions, but it's also told through the lives of people. And, and through the movement of the book of Acts, you can see key people as the focal point to see how the story is lived out. You know, sometimes it's good to read the manual and try to figure it out, and sometimes it's good to see someone live it out. And so in the first part of Acts, you see Peter. Peter with all his strengths and all his weaknesses, but now empowered by the Holy Spirit. God uses him in the first part of that book. And in that middle part, which has a variety of different characters, you have another main character that comes up, and that's Philip. And then toward the end of the book, you have Paul being the focal point to see how Jesus is lived out by the power of spirit through a life of an individual. But I do want to throw this in for free, because as we think about the Christian life, it's, it's not a lone range or experience. And that has always been true. So even as you look at these key characters, you find that they always had a partner with them. Peter had John. And he looked at Philip. He, he had Stephen, who was part of that group that began to develop a, a ministry out into the world. And Paul had Barnabas, as well as a slew of other people that came alongside him to be what God wanted him to be. And when we think about coming to a place like this, that's, that should be the passion of our heart. We're coming here not just to be religious, to, go, to do our, our penance for God. We're here to hear his story so that we can be part of that story, to live out the plan that God had for us from the foundations of the world. Well, that, that's, the, that's the context of our last look at this book. Let's look at the content for a moment. And part of this is going to be di- giving a little bit of a context as well. There are three main ideas throughout the book of, of Acts that you need to have an understanding of. And we've talked about a couple of them. Actually, we've talked about all three. We're going to focus particularly on one again this morning. One is we need to know the truth about the kingdom of God. That's not often preached on in contemporary American Christianity, but it's a focal point in terms of the life of Jesus. Jesus came to preach about the kingdom of God. And not to re-preach that message of a couple weeks ago, but we need to understand it's all about the rule and reign of God. And there's a present expression of that, and there is a future expression of that. We have it in a partial form now, but there's going to be experienced in a full way in the future. And as we think about being identified as a Christ follower, it's understanding that we need to be a part of his present kingdom, which simply means that, that Jesus needs to rule. And he needs to rule and reign in our own life. And if we haven't come to that understanding that, that believing in Jesus as your Savior is not enough unless you understand he is also your Lord. In other words, we, we don't just pick up, you know, our fire insurance. We don't, we don't just get rescued from, from God, from danger. We exchange allegiances. It's no longer we are who are in charge. It's God who's in charge. We'll be looking at our small groups this week at that simple gospel message that Paul and Silas gave to the jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I think what's so interesting about that, he's talked about not just believing in Jesus, 
but believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all about the kingdom. He's the one who's to rule and to reign in our life. We need to believe the truth, understand the truth about the kingdom of God. We need to understand the truth about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not less than God the Father or less than God the Son. He's not like the the poor man's deity. He is fully God. He is a person. He's not just a power source. There is one God. Within the one God, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he lives within those who know and have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He He is the one who enables us to live out what God wants us to be. It doesn't take long to read through the New Testament and realize that the Christian life is uh, it's kind of difficult. It's not very easy. Uh, to, to live out the Sermon on the Mount, how is that possible? Well, it is impossible for us to do it, but it's possible for God to do it in us and through us through the power of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit should not be the forgotten God, as Francis Chan says. But he is, he is the source of understanding what it means to live for God. He's the person who dwells within us. We need to understand the truth about the kingdom of God. And we're going to see this not only, we've already seen it in the first part of Acts. We're going to see it at the end of the book of Acts as Paul speaks about the kingdom of God. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who dwells and lives within us. It's a God thing. And then thirdly, again, we need to understand what it means to be the witness of the church for Jesus Christ. And we talked in length a couple weeks ago about that. But we're now we're not going to see it just in principle. We're going to see it lived out in the life of a person. One of the best ways to be good at anything is to find someone else who's good at something and just do what they do. Learn what, what makes them successful in what they're able to accomplish. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul who understood what it meant to be a witness and is an example for us. And what we're going to see today is the things, the principles we're going to see are all doable. Uh, I've already shared to you that, that the, the challenge to live like Jesus, to portray, portray Jesus to the world in attitude and action is impossible. But it is doable because of the Spirit of God, but also because God never asks us to do what we can't do. And we're going to see simply how Paul lived this out. So if you have your Bibles already open to Acts chapter 28, let's look at what it means to follow the example of Paul and being a witness uh, for Jesus Christ. It's so tempting to tell all the backstory of, of this particular last chapter in the revelation of Luke to us about the story of the witness of the church by the power of the Spirit. Paul's already had three uh, jury trials before significant uh, um, leaders in that community. And uh, he is not found total resolution in terms of the, the false charges that were put against them. So he appeals to Caesar to go to Rome, and that's why he is now in this place that we're going to be talking about in just a moment. We find that as he goes on his way, you would think because he's in the, the center of God's will that there would be an, an easy uh, approach into this city that God had ordained for him to come in. We find he gets on a ship, and there's a shipwreck. It feels like everybody's going to die, and, and God miraculously saves all 276 people in that, in that boat. He gets to the place of Rome and, and there are those who, find, who have already found faith come and, and just rejoice that he's there. And, and that's what fellowship ought to be when we see each other. We ought to be filled with joy because we understand we have so much in common, uh, not in terms of ethnic 
background or education or skills and gifts and abilities or even experiences, but because we have a common relationship with a living God and they're filled with joy as they see each other. And then Paul is headed toward his experience, which is going to be imprisonment. And you think, well, I guess Paul's ministry is going to be put on hold for whatever period of time he's going to be there. It's probably a couple of years and he's just going to have to watch what other people do. But we find that God has a ministry for him. And I want you to understand that that's really true for each one of us. No matter where we are, God has a ministry for us. And primarily a ministry to people. Now, we all have gifts and talents in various areas, and they can be task-oriented, and they can be in a variety of ways that we can use those unique abilities that God gives us. But even those things are for the purpose of people being impacted by the love of Jesus Christ and the service of others. And so we pick it up with the Apostle Paul as he, he's, he's preparing to simply talk about Jesus. We have a purpose statement for our church to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And as we think, well, what, what does that mean to be a fully devoted follower of Christ? Well, it means that we love Christ, that we, we, we grow in Christ, that we serve Christ, that we honor Christ. And then finally, we talk about Christ. It, it ought to be just natural that we talk about that person who means more to us than anyone else in this universe. And so Paul is prepared to talk about Christ. And that's the pre-point. If you want to follow the example of the Apostle Paul, he was ready to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Let's pick up the account in Acts chapter 28. And really what we're going to see here is that Paul was prepared to answer the questions that bother people. And I phrase it that this way because many times we are very fearful about just speaking about our faith because we're afraid someone's going to ask us a question we cannot, what? Answer. Oh, I don't want to make God look bad because they might ask me something I can't answer and then, then God will look foolish. <laughs> You're going to see that most of the questions that, that people ask, you can be prepared to answer. In fact, every question that people ask, you can be prepared to answer because if you don't have an answer. Simply say, I don't know. But but look at how Paul was prepared. He actually he actually looked at the question and answered the question before it was even asked. Acts chapter 28, beginning with verse uh, 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the elders of the Jews together. And the idea there, in fact, if we back up to verse 16, you'll see where he's at. Now, when we came to Rome, the, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. In fact, in this particular imprisonment by Paul, he was what's called under house uh, arrest. He was living in a home. A guard, a Roman guard was probably chained to him, but he had a lot of freedom. And so the opportunity to bring people into his establishment, the place where he lived. So it came to pass after he had only been there three days, he invited the Jewish people and Jesus came to reach the Jewish people and then the entire world. And the gospel of the book of Romans says it's to the Jew first and then also to the Greeks. So when they had come together, they he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they had examined me, wanted to let go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. 
Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation for this reason. Therefore, I have called you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I was bound with this chain. Now, in case you aren't kind of figuring the flow out in this particular passage, what Paul's anticipating is they're wondering, well, you are coming here. We're hearing about as a man of God speaking for God and you're speaking as a man of God speaking for God, trying to draw people to have what you have. A relationship with God. And he's thinking, well, as they know, this is what I'm here for. They're probably wondering, well, what gives him the right to speak about God? And so what he anticipates that they're bothered about is that somehow his life does not measure up to his talk. That his walk doesn't match his talk. He's saying, how could a person who is a prisoner... Speak about a God who is holy and righteous and you need to fall after him when you can't even keep out of jail. And so what he does here, at this point, he gets what we would call defensive. He, he begins to give a defense as far as why he is in chains, why he is in the position he is in. And I want to just anticipate this just a very in a very simple way. When when we also wonder why sometimes we aren't as bold as we could be. And by bold sign, I simply mean speaking out when we have the opportunity to speak. Is we're often afraid that when we begin to speak, we're going to have hear that word we don't want to hear. You are a hypocrite. How can you speak to me about God? You're, you're more messed up than I am. Or, or they might point to specific things we have done or are still doing. And we're, how can I speak? And so... Paul anticipates this because he knows that might bother them. And so what he does is, I I want you to know that I'm in prison, but like all prisoners, I am innocent. But in this case, he really was innocent. He said, the reason I'm here, you can check it out, is that I have been falsely accused. Now, I want, however, to, to be very clear here. There are times when we are bothered by what people might say. We might... And and the reason to be defensive in this case was not because he was so concerned about simply what they thought about him, but what they thought about his God who supposedly had changed his life. It's all right at times to to offer up a defense, not in a defensive way, but simply to get out the truth. But sometimes when we have to be concerned about what people are thinking about our lives, not measuring up, it's not going to be in a situation where we are innocent, is it? We have done those things that people will look down at us and say, hey, don't give me that. You're not any different than me. I mean, you have a great God, but he hasn't made any difference in your life. Uh, Pastor Scott was sharing about that last week in in the book of James, how we need to be real and genuine. So what are we going to do when we are concerned about people pointing a finger at us in terms of your gospel is not real because your life has not been changed? Let's look at another occasion where Paul wasn't innocent. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 23. Paul's on trial here. He's beginning to, to speak boldly for, for Jesus. Uh, Acts 23, verse 1. It says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And, and so basically he said, Hey, I, I'm a righteous man. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. I guess he hit a sensitive chord there, right? Uh, then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law and, and you do not command me to be. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? 
So Paul gets uppity here. He actually speaks the truth because Ananias had just broken the law by having someone strike Paul. But then verse four, and those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? In other words, that bothered them what he had just done. And then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Can I try to make a simple application here? Is we need to live a life that backs up our words. But when our life does not back up our words, we simply admit it. Yeah, I've said some things I shouldn't have said. I'm still struggling in this area of my life. I'm not perfect, but but God has made some changes in my life. And and I'm sorry. But let me point to someone who can really change your life. See, there are times that we need to correct misunderstandings or misinformation about who we are, what we've done or what we haven't done. But there are times when people could point a finger rightfully at us and say, hey, (laughs) your life's not any different than anybody else. And when that happens, we just admit it. Hey, I've been there, done that. And I'm, by God's grace, I'm moving on. And, and so as you think about being a witness for Jesus Christ, be prepared to answer the questions that bother people. wasn't in my notes. I just thought about time I had to go up to a person and, and do exactly that. There was something in my life that didn't measure up, and I knew it was just affecting my witness. And it probably does a lot more than I'd recognize. And I simply had a doctor and said, hey, I want to get the record straight. And you know what? It became a platform to speak further about Christ. So it doesn't matter how much you've messed up. It's a matter of whether you're willing to admit you've messed up. Remember that series in the book of 1 Corinthians? The perfect church for what kind of people? Imperfect people. Paul puts in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, uh, time won't tell us, uh, cause us, allow us to kind of turn to that passage. But he speaks of this list of things. Some socially acceptable sins, some not quite so socially acceptable sins. And he describes people in the church that this was what they once were. But now God had changed them. So God uses imperfect people. And Paul was one of them. And he anticipated that and simply tried to explain why he was where he was. Interesting enough, and I think this is true as well, like it's implied in the text, sometimes the things that bother us and we're concerned about how that might bother someone else, it bothers them a lot less than it bothers us. Because look, at, look back at Acts chapter 28. They weren't even bothered by this. They hadn't heard some of the things that, that had possibly diminished his testimony because of things that he was falsely accused. Then they said to him, verse 21, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. In other words, the evil he thought that they had known or had heard about him was not a big deal, at least verbally, as they expressed it to him. 
But this was their concern, verse 22. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Now, that not that interesting? What people really want to hear from us in so many parts of life, but particularly as it relates to our faith, is, well, tell me what you think. What is it you believe? And isn't that what a witness is? Simply, simply tell what you know, what you've experienced. Uh, then they can, they can wrestle with it. We, we just want to know, what, what is this sect, which was a subgroup? It, it, you need to realize that Christianity grew out of the Jewish faith. And so they just saw it as a kind of aberration or a part of that, a segment of it. And so can you tell us the difference between, you know, this, these groups of people that are following this Jewish rabbi that suffered a horrible death and some people are saying he rose from the dead? Can you tell us about that? What do you think about this? And that's simply what a witness is, simply telling what you've known and what you've experienced. And can we all do that? Let me ask you, can you all think out there? Anybody have some thoughts? Can you share those thoughts with others? And that's simply what Jesus is asking us to do. And that's the example of the Apostle Paul. So first point, be prepared to answer the questions that bother people. And sometimes it doesn't bother them as much as we think it does. Secondly, be simple and clear about the message. Let me ask you, can any of you be out there simple? (laughs) We can't always be clear, but I can be pretty simple at times. Uh, Look look at what the Apostle Paul does. Verse uh, uh, 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And so what he simply did is he, he gave them a Bible study. Now, we, we all know that, that sometimes we feel um, biblically illiterate. There's some things in this big book we don't know. There's some things in this, this big book we don't understand. There's some things we, we wish we could, at our fingertips, be able to, to quote or turn to or explain. But I don't think that's the point here. I, I think he, God wants us to know this book more and more because it, it gives us the words of life that we can share to others as well as experience for ourselves. But Paul simply, again, told what he knew. And he explained to them about Jesus. And if... If you only know a few verses, if you can turn to John 3, 16 and explain that, if you can turn to that passage in Acts 16, where he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. If you can explain, hey, I once was blind, but now I see. You can make it simple and you can make it clear. I put some passages in your in your in your outline this morning. And really what's interesting about these passages is that what Paul would do is simply speak about the resurrection. That was the point. There was this man who died. And now he lives. And this has always been the message of God's word to us. What was Job and saying, hey, even, even though I know I'm going to die in this skin, I know that I will see in my flesh the living God. Well, how could that happen unless there's a resurrection? In Daniel chapter 12, it's speaking about that time where there, there will be a resurrection, some to an ever, a resurrection of judgment and some to a resurrection of life. And throughout the gospel, the gospels, it was Jesus resurrection promised. And then the resurrection happened in the book of Acts. It was the resurrection preached, talked about, and then the resurrection lived. 
And so as we think about being a witness, we, we simply just do what the Apostle Paul said. We, we, we simply talk about Jesus and that he, he is the singular individual who rose from the dead and lived 40 days afterwards and never died again. When we were in Cyprus, we, we went to um, Lamarca, which is a place in which tradition has it that last. And I often use this passage in memorial service or funeral services. The thing we need to realize about Lazarus is that Lazarus, though his life is extended by God doing the miraculous through the power of Jesus to raise him from the dead, is he died again. Uh, Jesus never died again. He is the first resurrected one because he never died again. And so the message was simply speaking about Jesus in the victory that was won on the cross and from the empty tomb. Thirdly, be ready for people to accept and reject the gospel. Look at uh, verses 24 uh, through 27. Actually, through um, well, let's look at the passage. Luke writes, And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, so they departed after Paul and said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their hearts are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Stopping there just for a moment. I, I don't think I finished the story of Lamarca and Cyprus. What they have there is they have a historical site, traditionally, is where the tomb of Lazarus is. There was no story in Christianity that Lazarus continued to live. They have a place where they be- believe he's buried. But as we think about it, sometimes when we think about being bold in our witness for Jesus Christ, we're wondering, well, just how good at it am I going to be? How successful will it be about me getting out the message? And we're looking for the bottom line. You know, in sales, the bottom line is how many people you have to sign the, the dotted line, how many people buy what you're giving them. But we need to understand that people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, it's, it's got to be a God thing. It's not us drawing people to the faith. It's simply us telling about our faith. And even as the Apostle Paul, who I would probably say was probably the most skillful and powerful one in terms of presenting the message of Jesus Christ, not everyone responded in faith to what he had to say. And when that happened, he would respond just like like Jesus did. In fact, Jesus used the same passage as he spoke the parables in Matthew chapter 13. If you're really going to understand, you need to have eyes to see and ears to what? To hear. And so don't put yourself on a performance basis in terms of being a good witness for Jesus Christ. A witness is simply someone who shares what they know and experience. Some will accept and others 
will reject. And it always has been a God thing. It's not something that we do. It's what God does through us. And there will be people who will respond and there will be people who respect or reject. And then finally, God is calling us to be faithful in sticking to the mission. And the mission is simply, again, keep talking about Jesus. Look at verses 20 through 30. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these things, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the rule of Jesus in the hearts of men and women, and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. We've had as a so what throughout this series is are we going to be an Acts 29 people? Because in many ways, the story was never finished, and it was never finished on purpose. This was not the end of the Apostle Paul's life. Luke could have told the rest of the story, but he left it here, I believe, to to give a a word picture for us to, to continue on doing what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul probably was in house arrest for two years. He was busy not only talking to people about Jesus one-on-one in small groups, people would come out of the home, but he was also writing to the churches. We believe he probably wrote the book of Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. Onesimus probably came out during this house arrest. And he was actively getting out the message, not only verbally but in print form. But then he was released. And he was still reaching out and still going to the remotest parts of the world. In fact, many believe that in Romans chapter 15, it gives indication that, that, that Paul went to Spain and he got the message out there. But it was in God's plan for him to be a witness, not only in terms of his words and his life, but also in his death. And I share with you that the word witness literally in the New Testament language is the word martyr. And the Apostle Paul came back to Rome. And at this time, he was not under house arrest. He was in a deep, dark dungeon. And he demonstrated his faith by giving his life for Jesus. Tradition has it that he was beheaded because he would not deny Jesus as Lord and Savior. But what he gives to us is a picture that if if we're going to understand the message of the New Testament, if we're going to understand that Jesus is alive, well, so what? It makes a difference in our lives. But, But now what for God's people is that we are called to be the people that represent Jesus to others, to live the life, to speak about the life, to be prepared to speak, and at times be prepared to to answer the questions that bother people, to recognize that God has simply called us to be simple and clear about the message. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And we believe that that message will change people's lives. Thirdly, that we would understand that There are going to be people who accept it and reject it. And that God's call for us is to keep on getting the message out. Are you an Acts 29 person? Are you part of the story that God is unfolding in the lives of people by reaching out to the people you know and care about? The Apostle Paul's life was radically changed because he simply put his faith And that rabbi from Nazareth, the one who claimed to be God, who went to a cross and rose again. Let's pray.
Father, the, the plan is clear. The source of strength and power is evident. And the only thing that is in question is whether we will follow the master's plan. Father, as we have opportunity to continue to worship this day, as we worship in giving and we worship in prayer and we worship in praise, Father, I would, I would ask that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you in a personal way, might they understand that the first step in living for God is knowing God? That they might simply admit their need and, and turn to the Savior. That they might believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for their sins and rose again. And might they commit to follow Jesus, Lord God and Savior. And Father, for those who have already made that step, might we again understand that we are left here for the purpose of being light in people's lives. To show in attitude and actions that Jesus is real and then speak about our faith. Empower us to be all that you want us to be. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.